M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. It was like viewing another species on another planet. This is M. Salation. I don't blame them if they don't feel safe. We're crossing lines. We are not. It's all we've got in lockdown. I am becoming you. It's like you've possessed me. <laughs> I want to implement a safe word for my family. And I'll just shout at them, banana, banana. You're in M. Salation. Tick, 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 tick. Tick my box. Hello, hi, hi. Welcome to Emsolation, episode 28. You guys, in the month of June, we hit 200,000 downloads and I'm thrilled. I I never thought. I mean, I hoped, obviously. <laughs> but um, look, I just wanted to let you know that I would like to be getting to around 500,000 and maybe you know between that and 50 million a month. You know, so baby steps. Let's kind of aim for the end of the year. I'm competitive like that. I just wanted to point out how much it means to me that you choose my podcast because it is a choice you have to make. We're not background music. We're not just on by accident. You have to specifically search up Emsolation on your podcast unless you've subscribed. And if you haven't subscribed, you definitely should. And um, you'll just get sent it then. It's very convenient. And um, make time in your busy day to hear my nonsense. And um, I will never forget that. That fact is not lost on me for one second. And this is my most favourite thing that I think I do. This is the most purest form of me that I can give you short of jumping through the speakers right now, through your headphones, through your car, through your kitchen Bluetooth and uh, singing you a number in a sparkly leotard. This is about as me as I get. And the fact that you guys are still okay with it and love it. Oh my goodness. I just love it so much. So thank you. And I know that this is a lot of our listeners' introduction to podcasts in general. I know a lot of you didn't know what a podcast was. What a baptism of fire. I just want to let you know you should definitely go listen to other podcasts and they are more professional than ours. They stick to topic and don't mention jizz quite as much. But hey, you know. And thank you also to all of you recommending us to your friends. I've become aware that the podcast is almost like a meme. We get sent to people... You know, if someone's feeling their mate or their family member needs a lift or the topic relates to them, you know, or it's like subliminal messages. So I love that. And today I would like us to be sent to the teenage girl in your life because I want to address them. I want to talk to the teenage girls. And I was made aware we have a little bit of a teenage girl following, which I love. I love the idea of getting my talons on the next generation of women I got a message from a wonderful Emsolation, can't even say the name of my bloody podcast, Emsolation listener. Uh, she's 19. Allow me to read it to you. <laughs> hey, Em, as two 19-year-olds struggling through the ups and downs of being teenagers and adults at the same time, you were the light we needed. We just wish we'd had you during the turmoil of boarding school. And I just received this message from a friend I recommended your podcast to at the very beginning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Em. Her name was Em. I didn't send that to myself. And then she put a screenshot of a message exchange she had with her friend Sophie and they were just talking about how much they love the podcast and then they called me a cool mum. Could you hope for anything more than that? A cool mum. So Em and Sophie, I'm glad you're getting something out of it. And look, I don't know if my kids think I'm a cool mum. I mean, you know, deep down that's what all mums want. We also just want shit to get done. We don't want you to talk back. We want you to know we love you. We don't want you to be dickheads. We want you to be safe. We want you to be brave, you know, but cool mums up there. That's good. My children are one, Elio, my son, 13, Odette, my middle daughter, and 18, Marcella, my eldest daughter. 
And you'd think I'd have to approach parenting them very differently, but I don't. Sometimes I find myself yelling at Marcella and the baby, it's 5am, you should be asleep. Is that vomit on your top? Where are your pants? <laughs> nah, I'm joking. Elio always wears pants. Oh, poor Chella. Nah, Chella's amazing. My 18-year-old daughter is incredible. And I'm so glad that the universe will be in her hands momentarily. She's brilliant. But gosh, she's had a bad run. And to all the teenagers listening now, my heart goes out to you. Because look, she finished year 12 last year. She was in the top 3% of the state. No big deal. Don't bring it up. It's fine. It's not... I'm not taking that as a personal triumph. No, stop mentioning it. But then she turned 18, went to schoolies, um, got her license, then got pneumonia, then spent the summer in bed, had two weeks at uni and then lockdown hit. Oh, can you imagine? Bad timing for her. Great timing for me. (laughs) Pubs and clubs still not open because teenagers, if you're listening right now, you need to know that The moment you turn 18 and you start going out and you start driving, the hardcore parenting kicks in again. You're back to being toddlers on the playground. Everything in the world is out there to hurt you. I worry nonstop when she leaves the house. So I have to tell you, a lot of us parents are feeling one of the positive things about isolation is being able to eyeball our teenagers at all times. Because I make no apologies about the fact I'm a tiger mum. I'm a helicopter mum. I'm a black ops mum. And when I think about this shit I was getting up to in 1997 when I was her age, oh my God, the amount of times I said I was at my mate's house having a sleepover, but instead I was drinking Sub-Zeros out of a one litre movie cup with a Looney Tunes character on it, passed out on a footy oval at 2am in the freezing cold. Oh my God. Don't do that, by the way. (laughs) But it's not our fault that we parent the way we do. Because if you're listening now, your grandparents were baby boomers. Your mum and dad's parents were baby boomers. And- We all live with the trauma of being brought up by 80s parents. We're all doomed to fail before we even grew up because we are so hands-on with you you guys. We know what it is to be abandoned for days on end while our mums and dads have trivial pursuit cheese fondue orgies. We remember when a bag of chicken twisties was a meal and going to bed in a sleeping bag under a pool table at a party was the norm. If today's social norms were applied to our parents, they'd flat out be in jail. Nah, I love my parents, but Jesus, if if you were brought up like I, I have vivid memories of being in in the back of my mum's Datsun 180B, the Datto, rusted all through the back, and those beige vinyl seats that would give you third degree burns when you sat on them, and if you got the seatbelt in the butt crack, the clip, oh my god, I think I still bear the scars. But I would be in there and like no seatbelts, and you know just a, a cask of West Coast coolers. Someone was smoking, all the windows were wound up. You guys don't even know how good you have it. And that's the reason we are so attentive as parents now because we are scarred by the boomers. But like I said, I really love the idea of getting my hands on the next generation of women. And obviously I have two in my house right now who relentlessly get unsolicited life lessons from me. I even dedicated an entire chapter in my book to the things I'd like them to know in case I die um, before I've been finished before I finished imparting my interesting brand of wisdom on them. Yeah, I'm even trying to parent from beyond the grave. Do you understand my control issues? But I put a thing up on Instagram the other day, uh, a lady on Twitter at Genuine One, she she posted something and it just, I don't know, just kind of lit a fire in me. And it was, teach your children early what you learned late. And that fucking rocked my little world. And yes, teenagers, mums swear, we swear. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. My kids learned that very early on. The important thing is to know when to swear in context. Be smart about it. 
Okay, moving on. That was just a free lesson there right now. (laughs) So for me, the big lesson that I have imparted on my children very early is to trust your gut. Because I think women especially are discouraged to listen to their first instinct. And And I've said it before, if you smell a piece of raw chicken twice, bin it, it's off. If you've got to go back for that second whiff, bin it. It's like when you're gonna, you go to smell the top you want to put on. If you've got to smell the pits twice, it's probably time for a wash. Same with life. If a person or a situation needs a second sniff, it's off. And look, if I've learned anything, it's not to stray too far from your gut. Always listen to it. Stay close to the centre of the things you believe in and love. Because when I'm unhappy or unfulfilled in my life or work, it's usually because I'm doing stuff too far away from that little voice, from the light, from the gut. All right. God, this is gone. This is probably my longest intro ever. But I just got excited that maybe this podcast got sent to a young person and maybe you listen. So if you're listening now and you are a person under the age of 20, your mom or dad probably sent you this. Welcome. Welcome to my world. Pass it on. Tell everyone. We want to grow to 50 million by next month. All right, it's probably time to get to Michael. Scotty Barrow, my husband's making a surprise appearance today. He didn't piss me off this morning, so he was allowed into the podcast. He's normally on Tuesdays, but uh, we had a fight, so couldn't deal with it. Yeah, your parents fight too. I mean, you probably know that. Uh, So he's here to help with fear of rejection. (laughs) He's helping with fear of rejection. He's very good at his job. And um, Michael Lucas and I need to discuss what the hell's been going on with Britney Spears' Instagram. Reynold from MasterChef had a hickey on his neck. And also Hamilton the Musical, our excitement at that airing on Friday. All right, play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. Okay, well, I've had probably over a hundred of you tag me in Britney Spears' Instagram account and you know I cannot do an in-depth analysis without my pop culture scientific partner in crime. (laughs) Michael Lucas. Oh, Michael. I'm so glad to be the expert there. I'm, can, <laughs> I want to change my title of this podcast to be Britney Spears Correspondent. Oh, well, if I it's can like be royal. a foreign yeah, correspondent. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. reporting from another planet somehow. Oh, God. I just, everyone's been tagging me, ask the podcast in Britney's Instagram. Like, she's going to start wondering what the hell is, em- what's an emsolation? Because our names are written so many times under her posts. But in the last, there's been a frenetic, like crazed interpretive dancer-thon going on? Yeah, look, I think it's divided us this one because part of me, part of me, there's still the lounge room dancer in me that is impressed that this 30-something mother of how many kids does she have? I should know that. Two, two. Two. Right, okay, is, is into the freestyle dancing in her room. Like I'm finding it joyful and exuberant, but then ever so slightly terrifying. Yeah, but you don't have 25 million people following you and oh, watching never, you. No one's getting my interpretive dances in my lounge room, on the except, for, except of course, when I'm in, tagged in a dance challenge, when I feel it's my duty to participate, unlike some. But uh, no, no one's going to be seeing it from me. Yeah, but also, are you popping on a, what can only be described as chartreuse, crocheted, tight mini dress and clogs and walking back and forth for two minutes straight with no purpose in and out of shot to an unknown song that you supposedly wrote. Maybe I am, Em. Maybe I am. <laughs> I feel like, and I've got this theory and you agree, she's frozen in time at 16. Even her voice, she sounds like she sounds like a small child. I think it's more 14. Oh, didn't hit me baby one more time. Wasn't 16 No, it was, her- but she was already working pretty hard from 14. 
Like she wasn't super famous then. But she wasn't as sexualized at 14. Like at 16, she was sexy schoolgirl. Do you know what I mean? And totally. I feel like she's really going hard on the hipster shorts. Those white, they're so low, you can almost see top of pubic hair. And I just feel like I understand the need to want to be, you know how sometimes people keep their hair from their best era? You know, sometimes you see women walking around with that very distinctive 80s, like Daphne from Neighbours fringe, that at the front. Yeah. And you're like, oh, her prime was 86 school prom. You know, yeah, like yeah. I feel like maybe Britney just wants to be back at that moment where everything was okay, so she's stuck herself there. Yeah. Well, it's and it's also like Michael Jackson became super famous at like seven or something and then he weirdly, sort of disturbingly, stayed in that weird mindset for the, like so childlike for the rest of his life, frozen in time. I know. But I mean, obviously there's a lot more complications there. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, but I just, are we watching an unravelling or a rebirthing? I can't, I keep, I oscillate between the two. I don't know if she is getting to live her best life in her truest form with complete access to her social media accounts and no one telling her what to do. And this is really just her being her with reckless abandon. Or is she genuinely on the precipice of a complete breakdown? I'm really worried. I and maybe it's both. Yeah. I, mean, it could, <laughs> I see it as a, yeah, totally. I, I do, I could easily imagine she's about to have a breakdown. But on the other hand, I firmly and fervently believe that there should be more freestyle lounge room dancing happening in the world. We'd all be happier and fitter if we danced <laughs> like Britney did with all the she abandon just, that she did. She does seem to have a few signature moves that she comes back to constantly. And also she really, I do love her commitment to doing the occasional like jump into the air, like the gazelle jump that's never quite pulled off quite the way you want it to be. <laughs> and I also, sometimes her captions, like here's this one in her, she's got a crop top, again, loves a milkmaid kind of vibe. Mm. Still the mascara's halfway down the face. I'm starting to think she's had it tattooed under her eyes to look like that. Mm. And the caption is, dreams are like the old stories where wolves are seekers always running and women carry fire in their bare hands and light the dark paths before them. Old stories hold that the birds will fly all the miles of the world to tell your secrets to the rising moon. And she's written this under a picture of her. I mean, it's a quote from a lady named Tamara Rendell. But under a picture of her in like a sexy milkmaid top. They're like a <laughs> 1990 shell choker. And I'm not sure where the wolves come in there. When was your frozen in age time? When are you frozen in? What's your, what will be the, what will be the M era that you'll stick with for the rest of your life? I think, I think I'm still waiting for that to happen. Uh, yeah, for me it's 48. I think I got <laughs> no, there think. at 13 and I've just sort of been biding my yeah. time. Yeah, I feel that. I feel like I haven't quite reached the moment I want to be frozen in. I'm getting close but not quite because certainly I did not want to go back to 16. My 20s were a shit show. Mm. Um, 30s, uh, yep, trash fire. So I feel like for, late 40s, same. 48 for you and I is going to be amazing. I think it's going to be, for you it'll be the exact time that a, a, a turban becomes comfortable, unexceptional day wear and then you're just done. That's it. Yes. You're pretty, you are dazzlingly close to that now. I'm close. I'm close. I'm on the precipice of turbans being day wear, day wear to just lift my face up, not have to dip my hair. <laughs> All right, well, we'll keep monitoring. But I, I am mesmerised and concerned in equal measure. I want everyone to know that I don't take mental health lightly, but I still think she's not hurting anyone. She's clearly happy in whatever concoction of medication she's taking. So more power to her. What I do want to talk to you about, though, there's so many things. We have so many topics to get to. This is going to be the longest podcast we've ever done because my intro went for five years. Scott's also decided he wanted to have something to say. So we've got a Thursday Scott session. Um, 
<laughs> but I did notice on MasterChef yeah. as I was clicking the channel and then also because a million of our listeners like sent me messages, Robot Reynolds had a hickey on his neck. Yeah. Which to me is electrifying because he was in lockdown at the time of filming with the other contestants. His girlfriend of three years, Donata, is currently living in Bali, which is in Indonesia, not Australia. So my mind last night at 2am is racing, who the fuck is left in the house to be giving Reynold a hickey? Mm. Which... Do we think it's a hickey? Did you have a look? Have you done a screen? Have you done a zoom? I've certainly had a look. I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm not necessarily in a court of law. I'm not ruling out that that skin discoloration yeah. could have come from okay. some other source. But oh. for the purposes of this, what 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 are your suggestions? Well, he could just have he could just have a rash, or he could just have mm. a bit of a pimply sort of thing that's gone awry. Um, like I mean, I mm. yeah. But it's also fascinating as well because they've been shooting in lockdown. Let's not forget that. And they're absolutely in the distancing. But the positive thing for me is I'm increasingly starting to think, should Reynolds be the next Bachelor? (laughs) I mean, we need more diversity with Bachelors. And Mm. I feel like he's got a lot of the the qualities you want. I mean, he works out a hell of a lot. Yeah, but not only that, it's funny you bring that up. He he does take the idea of being a husband very seriously. I read a quote where he said... um, I have a checklist I must meet before I put a ring on her finger, her being Donata. I have standards. I want to be financially stable, own multiple businesses and have my own house. Well, that's the kind of qualities you want in a Bachelor contestant. And then also I just feel like we could get in some of the Bachelor sort of, you know, events and situations, he can pull out science, the, you know, science laboratory realms. I'm really up for that. I want a Bachelor that can do some sort of incredible meal or find some sort of other use for the blowtorch and the the freeze blast freezer or whatever else is happening. (laughs) You know, I was thinking, because obviously I'm going to get right on board with Bachelor in Paradise, equal parts disgusted, Mm. equal parts enthralled. I um, thought we'd be able to do the Bachelor in the same way. The Bachelor is going to have to become again like some kind of 1940s chased. They won't be able to do all the spa stuff. All the bodily fluids will have to be chucked out that they can't touch. How are they going to film The Bachelor in 2021? Well, there was a there was a report that some of the Bachelor dates were occurring via Zoom, which to <laughs> me does not sound promising. No, but for someone like me who didn't have a lot of looks but big personality back in the day, I could go on The Bachelor. I've got good banter. I could put a filter on my face. I could easily be a Bachelor contestant now. Not in my 20s, but now, God, if it's just personality, yes. Or suddenly all the women who have strong personalities are like, yeah, I'm going to go for the Bachelor. I'll put a bloody Snapchat filter on my face. I'll look like a sexy bunny with some big glasses. People around the world had a lot of reactions to the pandemic. M. Rossiano's reaction, I can finally go on The Bachelor. It's my time. No, but- <laughs> Well, the bachelor, all the all the bachelor contestants from the last one are all sad because they didn't get to bloody go to the logies. Oh, for fuck's sake! If I have to see one more sad quasi celebrity lamenting no logies on the weekend, there was actually a hashtag: put your logies frocks out. I was like, oh my god, guys, no one cares the logies. It's just, it's just really a bunch of people who are on reality shows wanting to get away from their families and do drugs in the toilet, isn't it? Isn't that the logies? You say that like it's a bad thing, Em. <laughs> <laughs> 
Look, I'm going to come out and say I'm not proud of this, but I too was in the category of people that were sad that the Logies were cancelled. But only people that go to the Logies were sad the Logies went on. The Australian public didn't miss it. Not one bit. So None the of Logies us. rate's okay. Didn't you miss no, the red carpet? No, it does carpet? not. Come on, you watch the Logies. We watch the Logies. Uh, we're, we're, we're awards show regulars, it, viewers. Yeah, but... Uh, I know too much about too many of the people at the Logies. There's no mystery for me. Like, you too. You know, we know them all personally. I love award shows like in, in the States. They're proper. Yeah. They're good. But I wouldn't stay up. Like, you and I have stayed up on Saturday nights watching old Tony Awards. We wouldn't watch old Logies. I'd probably watch, like, 60s Logies. They were wild. <laughs> for me, though, because Logies uh, is such a classy event, they don't have any writing awards at the Logies. And so, and also, there's such a – they want so many celebrities on every table. They just want celebrities and producers and publicists. That's it. If you're a writer or a director, forget about it. But I sort of have slowly worked my way up to producing. So, for years and years and years, I could never go to the actual Logies event. But since I've crossed over to being producing, which is only the past little while, now I can go. So, that's why I was disappointed. I feel like I finally got invited to the trashy ball and now it's shut down. I just think if an awards ceremony's genesis is old women sending in coupons from a TV guide magazine, I mean, how can we really place any credence in them? Do you know what I mean? I think that they, when you put it that way, I think that just gives the awards more luster. We will one day be those old women sending in coupons and we'll be proud about it and opinionated. What's your favourite award ceremony? What's your favourite? Okay, well, for me... Can I just point out the excitement? Your voice just changed gears. Like, you just went to another level then. I heard it because I know you well. He's about to talk about award ceremonies, guys. Strap in. <laughs> Look, I should just preface this by saying I think the whole concept of them is innate, innately stupid. <laughs> um, you can't judge. They always get it wrong. It's dumb. Having said that, I watch all of them. I absolutely watch all of them. And I love it. The weird thing is, obviously, the Oscars has the luster yeah. of history and it's kind of the ultimate but truth be told I get 45 minutes into that ceremony and I'm absolutely bored so my actual two favorites the two that I really look forward to every year the Golden Globes and the MTV Music Video Awards (laughs) (laughs) MTV are you joking? Yeah. Oh. No way. No way. MTV I mean think how many unbelievably culturally ridiculous things have happened. Everything from Miley Cyrus with the foam yeah, finger. True, true, true. Madonna and Britney pashing. To, yeah, Madonna and Britney pashing. Madonna doing the Dangerous Liaisons version of Vogue. I mean, that, like, that show yeah. always delivers something extraordinary. Remember the Lizzo, big Lizzo routine that yeah, happened last true. year? Incredible. And Golden Globes, again, because it's just such an, like, basically their mission is to get celebrities drunk yeah. and then have an absolute cluster of awards that just go to fame people. A couple of awards for writing and directing but mostly. <laughs> like just we've divided it into genres and we've divided it into male and female so we can just get as many drunk celebrities on stage. And they always pick better hosts. The Oscars has now hit a point uh, no where No one wants to host they it. They can't even have a host. <laughs> yeah. But Tina and Amy, obviously they're no. the ultimate gold standard for awards hosts. Mm. And uh, oh, for us the Golden Globes is, I mean, stock up on the wine. Yeah. I know, I love the Globes. It's amazing. I love the Grammys. The Grammys is always a hot mess. I I just, it's so good. And they often genuinely have 
they always build to some sort of incredibly amazing climactic sort of mm. duet of two mm. incredibly mm. iconic people that come mm-hmm. out and do a song together. And they can often be really quite good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Look, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely sad. We've got, we're going to have, who knows when award ceremonies will come back. Oh, I'm sure they will. Like herpes. Can't get rid of them. They'll come back stronger than ever. Oh, they will with an absolute vengeance. And also, you know, the other reason why I said the Logies isn't going ahead. I just hate to bring it back once again. Why? (laughs) Apart from the fact that, by the way, moving to the Gold Coast, best thing that ever happened with the Logies. It's a spiritual home. You love it. It's like school camp for celebrities, isn't it? Bloody hell. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's just that everyone's like, when it's in Melbourne, you go back to your own home. It's not as special. But when it's in the Gold Coast, it's different. But this is the legit reason why I was annoyed. I reckon Deborah Melman had the gold in the bag. She's so popular. Total Control was the best thing she ever did. She friggin' had it. And it would have been so good for, you know, this year if she'd gotten it. And, I mean, hopefully she'll still be remembered next. I'm sure she will be. Oh, they'll have to do a double banger awards. Don't worry. Next year the Luggies go for three days. It'll be a fucking road show. I'll be happy. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Oh, the influencers will have to start their Botox routine now to get it right. <laughs> just to get the chemical concoction just perfect. Oh, it's a hard balance. It is hard. And look, my 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 other favourite one, which rolls us nicely into the final thing we want to talk about, is the Tonys. Oh. I mean, the opening that that is when all the people who can't do movies and probably want to do. Um, they get to shine and they get to sing and dance and show all their threats. And for someone who has a few threats also, it's, I just feel like, you know, fuck off all you pretty Brad Pitts and your Angelina Jolie's and your bloody faces. Let us sing and dance. Oh, totally. As a showcase of talent, there's no doubt the Tonys is the best award ceremony. And that is the one we go back to on when we're home on Saturday nights drinking wine, doing YouTube marathons. We always end up back at a Tony's award, like a hundred percent. Totally. Often freestyle dancing, in a, not dissimilar to Britney. <laughs> it's true. And we're back to Britney. But of course, um, I just want people to understand the immense sacrifice that I made for our friendship this week and continue to make enormous sacrifice. Um, obviously, <laughs> Hamilton is going to hit Disney Plus on Friday. I was sent a preview screening of Hamilton yesterday. Uh, and I did not watch it because I'm waiting for my best friend to arrive at my house on Friday with his husband in tow so we can theme dress. I oh, look, you're. I, my message to Em was I would totally understand if you buckle and watch it. I just said that you have to generate enough excitement and emotion when we all watch it together. That's what I said. We'll be recording a bit. I'll be recording a bit so you guys can hear our excitement when we, next week when we chat on the pod. We'll talk to you about Hamilton. Now, just so I know going in... How much will you tolerate me singing? None. Oh, none? Can I mouth things? <laughs> Look, can, can I be honest? I love Hamilton. When I, I've only listened to the soundtrack. I haven't watched it. I don't listen to the second half of the album as much as I listen to the first half. No, of course. The first is absolutely stocked with... But also the, in the second half of the album, like when you see the actual show, there's more connecting bits that oh, aren't good. in the album that good, make good. it make more sense. Because <laughs> when you listen to the album, it's like, what is going on? Yeah, and it's also... It's so reprise heavy in the second part. That, yeah, it is, it is, it yeah, is. Oh, my okay. God. There's just... I'm so excited. We're so excited. We're even going to be dressing up. Disney is sending us wine and food. Like and, and like masks and things. It's a whole thing. Do you know what else I'm thinking of as well with Hamilton wow. that they're sitting on the film? S- somewhere somebody has a filmed version of Bette Midler doing Hello, Dolly, and they need to release those tapes because that show's done now. It's mm. done and it's in the past. Do you reckon they filmed it? Yeah, yeah surely. They film everything. 
<laughs> they do. Even they might not have filmed it to the. The other good thing about Hamilton is I'm looking at the reviews of it, and everyone yeah. says it's just been filmed brilliantly. It's like it's got all the intimacy of a film with close-ups and everything, but also it really captures the live event, and they've just absolutely oh, nailed it. I don't know whether they would have filmed it necessarily to that level if they weren't imagining this, but there is somewhere mm. there is a tape. They always film everything. You're just trying to make up for the Madonna. Mm, you're just trying to make up for the guilt you feel about seeing Hello Dolly with Bette Midler without me. This is one of the greatest sins of our friendship. It's true. Having said that, though, you were invited. You just couldn't go. <laughs> I went to New York to see it, and uh, not purely for that, but let's face it, mostly for that. And uh, it was. It's up there with one of the best nights of theatre I've ever seen in my life. It was absolutely amazing. David oh, my Pierce. God, get And off. even the support role, it was Beanie Feldstein was also in it with Bette Midler. And she, <sighs> I mean, it was just, it was staggering. It was so good and so entertaining. Shut up. Sorry. I hate you. What were you going to say about Madonna? I interrupted. Oh, like so <laughs> every single tour stop of the Blonde Ambition tour was filmed. You know how it's on the screens and everything like that. And all mm, of these gays yeah. are like digging up the tapes and releasing them on YouTube. So you can basically watch every performance of that show on YouTube now. Mm. And somewhere some mm. gay needs to find the Bette Midler Hello Dolly thing and WikiLeaks <laughs> get it out there. <laughs> I don't know if Hello Dolly qualifies as a WikiLeaks. Julian Assange. <laughs> He's facing a trial at the moment, but I'm sure, you know. Oh, Pamela Anderson's involved. She could help us. That was a weird coupling. God, we have we could dedicate a whole thing to Pamela Anderson and bloody Julian Assange bonking. That was strange. Anyway. All right. I'll uh, talk to you later. <laughs> See you, bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> this is Emsolation. All right, I know we normally do this on a Tuesday, but I didn't like his attitude on Tuesday, so we're doing it on Thursday today because he's been good boy when it got me a coffee. <laughs> Hello, Scott Barry, husband. I love the way you frame things. <laughs> uh, today's one comes from Amy, and um, it came at a good time and a bad time and triggered me a bit. Let's hear what she has to ask you. Hey, Scotty, it's uh, Amy. I'm 30 years old from Melbourne. Um, I've just applied for a dream job a couple of weeks ago and am waiting to hear back, but I'm wondering if you can give me some advice on how to deal with the potential uh, rejection that could come along with the application. Thanks. Okay, so going for jobs, it's really hard to not tie your self-worth into the outcome. And when this came through, I had just been rejected from a job I was up for. Yeah, right. What was that one again? I can't say it. I'm not allowed to say the jobs I auditioned for because then it gives away the show. And But I didn't get it. And how's the way um, when we go for these jobs, it's not until after you realise, oh, shit, I actually really wanted that. I was really hopeful for that. See, I didn't let, I knew I was up for it and I didn't let myself get too attached to it. But then when I didn't get it, I realised how attached to it I was. And I actually had to take to the couch for about four hours. Remember, I was like Charlie Brown with his head down, walking away. I know you're going to reference George Michael from Arrested Development, but not everyone watches Arrested Development. Were you going to reference him? I wasn't, but that's an excellent reference. And I think people should make the effort to find that and see that and watch that episode because it is brilliant amongst a brilliant show. Anyway, I really felt Amy and understood. And we don't know how she went with the job. Amy, let us know. But how do we stop the fear of rejection stop us 
from reaching for things that we want. Yeah, so it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because yeah, it's it's sort of there, and then you've got to remind yourself that hang on a minute, I've got to I've got to put myself out there to try and get something. So there's always a little bit of so-called risk. So it's either how you manage the risk, or do you reframe the whole thing so the risk is reduced in your mind? Well, I mean, this isn't just in jobs. This stops a lot of people in life. The whole idea of worried about putting yourself out there paralyzes a lot of people. So. Um, I mean, this can be quite a general one that Amy's brought up and especially at the moment with a lot of people going for new jobs or having to look at new possibilities and maybe new occupations because jobs are ending, we're all having to kind of pivot and think about new ways to bring in income. This means putting ourselves out there for rejection and taking chances on things. So let's talk about that. Let's get straight into it. So we get presented an opportunity like Amy has. How do we stop our brain from going, oh, but what if? Yeah, so when your brain's doing that, you're creating those thoughts. I guess you're only looking at one quarter of the picture in in a way that you could view this, and that is... Um, I don't get the job and the and the bad things I perceive that are linked to not getting the job. So how do I prepare for rejection? I like that. I like the idea of being prepared and we all have a pre- preparation strategy most of the time, but you can do that on one condition and that is only if you're allowed to look, you're, you're only allowed to do that if you are prepared to look at the whole equation. So you're, you say, say you don't get the job, you're going, okay, there's bad things. What are those bad things? Write them down, list them all your concerns, all your fears, everything. And then what could be the good thing about not getting the job? So write down a legitimate list that's believable to you that you believe. And then on the flip side, if you did get the job, write down the good things that you think that would provide. But then also write another list. This is the fourth quadrant. That is write down the possible so-called bad things that could happen if you did get that job. So then you're starting to dis. Um, uh, disattach, you know, reduce that attachment to the idea that this job is the key to my happiness or the key to my whatever I'm after. It also stops you, because nothing's perfect, no situation's perfect, so it stops you viewing the job with rose-coloured glasses, like it's the be-all and end-all. But why do we fear rejection so much? That's, and I think that's something we all feel it. We all worry about it. Even just in like things like asking a friend to go out for dinner who you haven't seen in a long time, you know, right up to going for the dream job. What is it about humans? What is it the thing that it brings out in us? And I know this is, seems like a basic question, but I don't think a lot of us drill down on that. Yeah, so uh, most, most experts in this sort of stuff believe it comes from evolution. So back then when, you know, thousands of years ago is when we were existing in really tightly um, integrated communities, if we got rejected from the group then, it basically meant death because you couldn't survive on your own, all right? So if you got ostracised from the group, then it could be over for you. So there's a physical reality to that. Nowadays, we're much more self-sustaining. Um, that That isn't a, isn't a factor, but the same reaction, the same neural pathway, the same pain response uh, happens. And now, so the, 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 um, the risk now is the emotional pain that comes with it. And then what comes with that is like a destabilised sense of self. So then it's like, who am I? What am I doing here? What's my point and purpose on this earth? That sort of, those existential questions. So there's a still a, a similar sort of level of significance in our in our mind the way you perceive it, but it but it's being triggered from the old patterns. So I think you can go the two routes here. So just say she doesn't get the job and or just say you get rejected from something. I don't know, a relationship or anything. It's I think 
we can't be afraid of how we're going to feel and that you can't stop yourself from feeling it. I mean, maybe you can if you can compartmentalise and be a robot, but that'll end up spurting out later on. Don't worry about that. In an ulcer or an alcohol problem or who knows, in your relationships. So if you can deal with the feelings immediately, that's always good. I've learned. So uh, last week when I didn't get that job, I felt it really deeply, but I like I allowed myself to feel it so much so that my whole body felt like I had to actually lay down. Um, but then I found the next day I was better because I allowed myself to kind of go, oh yeah, I feel really flat about this because I didn't get this job. Am I not really good at my job? Maybe I shouldn't be on television. Maybe I shouldn't be performing and entertaining. But then I realized, well, I'm letting other people determine my self-worth, which is something I wouldn't do. So, you know, you've got to kind of go through all that self-talk. So is there an easy kind of three-step thing you can say to yourself? (laughs) when you do feel that rejection hit and you do start to feel that, you know, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to die. Yeah, exactly. That's the sort of the subconscious message. Do, like when, when, the, when the news hits you, is there something we can say to ourselves is like, okay, let myself feel this, you know, da, 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 da. Mm. What, what do we got? Yeah. And so as you're explaining that you're, you've got this, you're doing this thing with your hands over your head, almost like let the water wash over me, let these emotional feelings, let this disappointment and all the other emotions, let them come over me. All right. So that's the first step. Just let myself feel it. Now you might have to contain that or you might have to delay that till a, a, a point in the day when it's safe to do that, you know, okay, you know, maybe not in public, whatever, whatever works for you. You might need to contain it with time too. But the first, that's the first thing. Just let yourself feel it and then acknowledge and notice yourself. And then it's like, essentially, it's like, well, what now? What, what can I remind myself of that takes me forward here? As opposed to uh, all the things that, you know, the, the negative spiral, the negative story that this is, what you know, what have I got? What have I got? What do I know? What is good and true that I can go back to and rely on? So that sort of neutralises you, gets you back to neutral. And then it's like, okay, so what am I going to do? And then in, in re, um, I reckon in in relation to jobs, got to, I reckon there's one thing that it's a numbers game too. So if that was a dream job, yeah, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but maybe the dream is in your head too, like as in not saying that wouldn't have been a good job, but also we build things up and that's why that four quadrants exercise is important to cut to the chase and cut to reality. So it's like, um, yeah, what 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 could I do next? Oh, well, I've got to scour, scour the internet or the job ads for more or I've got to... Or I've got that thing that I was hoping to get from the job, I've got to see where I could take control and create that in my life. Maybe it's outside of a job or maybe I create my own job. Maybe it's a part. So you respond, you reflect and you react. Yes, I just came up with that while I was sitting there pretending to listen to you. I was listening to you, but half of my brain was also thinking about some good alliteration to help people. But I also want to say the thing that we always tell our girls is if you're disappointed, that means you cared and there's nothing wrong with caring. Like that's, that's a good thing. It's, it, it's good that you cared enough about an opportunity you were putting yourself forward for to feel disappointed. It kind of means you're valuing yourself. And it's important to know not, on, not only do you care, but what exactly was it in that that you cared about? So that can point to, like our emotions are always messengers for us. So what is it? Oh, well, it was the fact that I was going to be working with those people and helping them do that. Or it was the fact that I was going to have a real position of authority and power and I felt like I could really execute my leadership through the systems. Or it was the fact that I could be really creative. 
distill it down to the actual thing, the value, and then that's then you can when you're going forward, you can go you can look for how you can express that value or um, engage in that value going forward, whether it be in someone else's job as an employee or your own recreational or setting up your own situation. Which is what I did. I mean, my career was just constant series of rejections because I was waiting for other people to give me opportunities. So in the meantime, I thought, fuck that, I'm going to make my own. So I just went and made my own opportunities, which I acknowledge not everyone can do in their line of work. Um, And, you know, the other thing is if you got the job, fucking yes, champion, go forward. Be your best. (laughs) We haven't covered that side. But I think if if everyone can harness that fear of rejection and how you're going to feel, then you can be really brave. So that's the other side of it. Being unafraid of rejection means that you can be brave, which is always good in career and life. Uh, Have you said everything you want to say? Just one thing more. Whether you get the job or whether you don't, you as a person, Amy and me and you, Amy, we're infinitely more, infinitely more than the job we hold, whether we hold a so-called great job or a shit job, we are much more than that. And that's some of the things that you can remind yourself of when you're feeling, you know, really disappointed. I'm much more than my job. I can create happiness. I can create satisfaction and meaning beyond a job. Obviously, a job can help, but yeah, I am more than this. This is not uh, this is not my value. This is not my represent- representation of me. And this is not the, the only pathway to my, you know, meaning and happiness. Cool. All right. Thanks, Scotty B. If you want Scott to help you with something in your life, you can email hello at mraciano.com. You just need to record a little 30-second grab of yourself talking about it, just as Amy did. She was very succinct. Yeah. Uh, Scotty, you'll be back next week pending. Three shows next week I'll be on, front and centre. Centre-half forward. Yeah, well, that depends if the centre-half forward can be relied upon to mark the ball and kick goals, a.k.a. Just kick seven then. Get me coffees and not argue with me five minutes before I have to record, even though sometimes it's my fault. All right, got to go. Bye, Scotty. See ya. This is Emsolation. All right, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for joining us this week. What a week it's been. I want to remind you that the Emsolation merch, yeah, we have merch, is now probably on sale, mraciano.com. It's a red T-shirt with pink Emsolation written on it. It's also a black T-shirt with pink Emsolation written on it. And there is a black T-shirt with busy working mum written on it in purple. And remember, you don't have to be a busy working mum to wear that T-shirt. It's a vibe. It's the new big dick energy. You might be a 19-year-old single gay bloke who needs a little bit of busy working mum injected into his veins. You do it, all right? Anyone can wear it. Dads, grandfathers, sons, babies, whatever. So that's mraciano.com. Now, before I go, you do know each week I want to amplify and bring attention to a community organisation, a charity or an individual within the Indigenous community community who I think is doing pretty amazing things. Marley Silva is one incredible young woman and we have been focusing on that next generation and she is no exception. She's a great storyteller. She... Um, was one of the finalists in the 2019 Young People's Human Rights Medal. She's been on Q&A and she has a new podcast and I've been listening to it and I just love it so much. It's called Always Was, Always Will Be, Our Stories. I want you to go and listen to that podcast. You know, you're all about podcasts now. It's the new... 
It's a new thing for you and she is just so impressive. And again, another person, another leader that I'm glad to be handing the world over to. She's a fair way in. It started in June. You can listen to it on Spotify. I'll put a link on my Instagram as well. You can listen to it on iTunes. Anyway, you listen to your podcast. Always was, always will be our stories. And I just think Marley is just exceptional. All right, guys, that's it. That's enough. My goodness, what a long one. We'll see you guys, hear you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Bye. A podcast one production.